Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. I've been birding and birding and birding since I got home from Texas. I was home just a short time. I chased, I think I told you on the last podcast, that I chased the uh, Siberian Accentor uh, the day after I got home. Took a little bit of a break, but we just got back from our freeze-a-thon. Every year, the ABC birding group that I'm a member with, uh, and Ken Brown, our uh, sort of guru and mentor, uh, head east, a group of us head east to north central Washington, uh, to the Okanagan area and to the Waterville Plateau, just fabulous birding areas in the winter, where what we call our winter specialty birds show up. We get birds there in the winter that are very hard to find in Washington any other place or other time of year. We get things like Bohemian Waxwing and try for gray crowned rosy finch which we didn't find this time we get uh, we got a goshawk we got northern pygmy owl we got long-eared owls just lots oh we had a flock just this ridiculous flock of snow buntings we estimated 3,000 snow buntings in a flock and another flock of 400 just a swirling mass of black and white birds these snow buntings we had a great trip i got back from that and I am settled down at home, kind of excited to be home for a little bit. I've been traveling so much, uh, and I'm pretty excited to be here, get back to birding a little in Pierce County. Uh, Will Brooks today had two black scoters just off Dunes Peninsula, and I got to dash over to the just before I recorded this podcast. Bruce Labard had a single one there a few days prior. And in between Bruce's one black scoter and Will's two black scoters, both of which I was literally on the way uh, towards the peninsula when they were found, uh, I went to eastern Washington again with uh, Marion. We stayed a, a couple of days at a friend of theirs in Leavenworth. They have an Airbnb that was not being used for a couple of days. We got to stay with them and uh, didn't do much birding, but uh, got out a little bit and saw dippers. American dippers are a fun bird. They're a used to be called water oozel or a bird that uh, likes to hang out in rushing streams, especially seems to me around here at least, like cold water rushing streams. Uh, and they bob under the water and catch little larvae and things to eat under the water. Just incredibly cool birds. But a lot of people don't hear them sing. And I got to hear them singing. There were two uh, American dippers right on a bar, right at a place called Sleeping Lady Resort, uh, a well-known resort. You go there for white-headed woodpecker, which I saw there, and for a white-breasted uh, nuthatch, which I didn't see there, despite going twice. But I guess you also go there for dipper. Uh, there was a bridge, and the funny thing, I, I heard... I heard the dipper, and I told Mary, I said, it's going to be right over under that bridge, because they like to get under bridges where this loud, big song they have reverberates and echoes all over the place. And sure enough, dipper sitting right on a pipe underneath this bridge uh, over a rushing water, and it was just singing its heart out, and a mate came up to stand on the pipe beside it. I took some pictures. The pictures were lousy. Uh, they were pretty far away, but they, they had a big, bubbly, musical song that you just don't expect from a blackbird that makes us living under the water uh, but it was really cool to hear and see and so I was excited and I got home yesterday and, and today I got another really cool thing I got to record uh, the episode number 50 50 episodes with guests of the bird banner podcast uh, with Nathaniel Swecker I met Nathaniel and we talk about that other thing so without further ado uh, welcome to the bird banner podcast episode number 50 with Nathaniel Swecker 
Well, I'm here with Nathaniel Swecker on the Bird Bander podcast, episode number 50. Welcome, Nathaniel. Welcome, Ed. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's good. I've seen you all over the place and hear about you, but <laughs> it, it seems like you were right. We just mentioned we haven't really sat down and talked before. No, I don't think we've ever actually sat down. Just wandered trails and occasionally intersected yeah i think you're right i remember the first time i met you uh, i had seen your name because you were really birding jblm at the time mm -hmm. you were all over yes. jbl was joint base lewis mccord it's yes. a big military base here in tacoma and you, i'd see you on ebird and i'd hear about your you know escapades here and find all these great birds and i'm just uh i think i might have been alone i don't remember but i was at uh, i might have been with ken or bruce i'm not sure but maybe alone. Anyway, we're I'm walking down uh, Spanaway Marsh, just mm -hmm. going in, and there's a bunch of birds. So I start tooting my little pygmy owl whistle, and uh, thinking, oh, maybe the birds will come to me. And I hear this crashing through the bushes, and <laughs> yes. out of the out of the out of the trail pops this guy with this big beard. I mean, this. I mean, not a big guy. I mean, you're a medium-sized person, but your beard was like three times the yes. size of the rest of you. Yes. And I go, who is this? And you go, were you tooting pygmy owl? I go, yes. He says, oh, Nathaniel, that's who Nathaniel's record is. So. I was so excited when I heard that pygmy owl call because I'd been looking and listening so carefully for pygmy owls. Um, and yours was so convincing. <laughs> as soon as I heard it, I was like, yes. And I think I had my, uh, uh, what is it, the iBird app. Right, um, you were already recording. And I was already adding it in my list. <laughs> and then there you were, and I was like, what is this? Oh, yeah. People should not have that good owl calls. <laughs> that was funny. That was the first time I met you. And after that, uh, I think I asked about you leading a trip for the ABC group and you did took us around JBLM and yes, that yes. was really when I first started birding the fort before that I'd always just been intimidated it, it can be yes and unfortunately we birded at probably the, one of the least birdie times of the year there so yeah that's good. One day, I'd like to take you again. Well, uh, I will take you up on that. Excellent. For sure. Uh, actually, Bruce Labar and I have birded uh, the for a lot since then. Oh, good, I good. Mean, maybe not all the years you go to, but you you were the person who really helped us know how to get hermit warbler every year. Oh, good. We, have you, you had, had luck with that Very now? much so. We just Excellent. go we go right in that east gate. Yep, and, yep. and just shortly after going there, we turn right on yes, a little correct. road there. I yep. don't know what it's called, but it's just a little ways in there. None of them and, have real names. And, and you go down and you park like 200 yards. as a little parking yep. spot, and they're just right overhead almost yes, every spring. Yes, I love them. They're one of my favorite warblers. Yeah. It always... Um, Shocked me too because there's so many of them out there, and people were always like, "Oh, hermit warblers! That's so hard to get." And I was like, "Well, if, if you just go to the right spot, they're always there." They are, and, and they were good ones. Yes, they're, they're, they're yes, good ones, and not yes. the not the hitos we get here. A yeah, lot. and yeah. a lot of the uh, a lot of people were like, "Hmm, I don't know if he's really getting those because yeah. primarily I get them we by get, ear. You get them by ear, and, and also that there's a lot of hybrids around. Yes, uh, yes, and." And honestly, I, I'm not convinced you can tell the hybrids from the pure ones by ear, but that they're mm -hmm. all good there. I mean, I've never seen a hybrid there. Yeah, um, I, I have seen some hybrids there, um, but there's a certain window in the year where the you can hear them well separated. It's only a short window. Okay. Um, it's one of those um, warblers where when they first arrive, they have one type of song, okay. and then they quickly switch to another. Oh. And that type... B song or type C song um, can then you can't distinguish can them be fool, between, can fool you. between Townsend's. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway, but I, I've, I've seen them 
you know, a handful of times out there, yeah. and I've always seen nice ones. Oh, uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I, uh, uh, the first uh, nest that I found there, it, I just spent like a good hour. Oh, just, sure, because it, it was, was so way high up, high, up yeah. way up high, but you could see the female going back to it, bringing food again mm-hmm. and again. Right. And I was like, okay, this is not just, I love, you know, seeing birds, but the the breeding birds, seeing them do what they do, the the whole reason they came all the way here, that's the real interesting part. It is very cool. It, I mean, and that they are just you know right on time. I mean, they're yep. just bingo bango. They're yep. there, uh, just predictable. Uh, yeah. When I lived in Puyallup, mm-hmm. uh, we always we had uh, we had uh, western tanager show up every spring in mm-hmm. my backyard, and it was May seventh. Mm. It was May, on a rare year, it would be May 6th or 8th, but it was yes. almost always May yes. 7th. It was just so, how do I do that? I mean, it's just insane. I, I, there's, there's those um, things in life that, you know, they come back and they have those cycles and they sort of give you a pleasure knowing that whatever happens, yeah. that's going to happen. Pitterick? Pitterick? Yeah, yes, Pitterick? Yes. Oh, they're back! Yes. That's good. That's good. Anyway, Nathan, you spent... What two or three years of really birding mm-hmm. giant bass Lewis McCord extensively, mm-hmm. and uh, tell me about that experience. I mean, yeah. what prompted you to focus there, and tell me about the birding there. Yeah, it started with um, birding Thurston County. Oh, okay. So I lived in Pierce County, um, but I had done a lot of birding at Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge. Right, um, and still very new to birding. And I was introduced to the dark side of birding, listing. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so I and e- had an eber. You can't. You got started about when eber got started. Oh yeah. So it was. I mean, eber brought listing to a whole new yes. level. I mean, counties became easy now. Yes. Well, I didn't. So I didn't know at all what listing was. But suddenly there was eberd for. I someone introduced me to it. A right. Whittier, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his name's Whittier Johnson. Could be. Yep. And he showed me the app and how I could record everything. And I was like, oh, what is this? I was like, I better, I better record all the birds that I'm seeing. And then I got introduced to Chris Warlow. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that he had a lot of eBird reports in Thurston County. Right. So, and then I, you know, finally got to know him now he's a really good friend of mine cool um and he was moaning about how there wasn't enough people to compete with and oh, i was like oh you, babe. you can compete and once i realized you could compete at something i was like we're gonna do this yeah so i took him on it wasn't quite like a big year for thurston county but i tried really hard to get more birds than him uh-huh um but he lived in thurston county and i didn't yeah. so i <laughs> I was driving down there. Yeah, the, the home, every day, home court advantage. There. Every day after work, you know, like a madman trying to find more and more. Um, so when the year was coming to an end, I was really experiencing anxiety because I was like, what am I going to do after this? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you know, I'm not going to do, do this still, every year. I can't do this every year. And. I, I always like to do things that other people haven't done mm-hmm. or they're not doing. Right. Because, um, you know, Chris really wanted more people to join him. And I was like, well, what can I do now? And I thought about, I was like, oh, there's a lot of good birders in Pierce County. And I was like, but they know all the birds really well. And 
it's like maybe I could do Nisqually um, watershed. Mm-hmm. So I looked on the map and I was like, oh, it's really hard to draw the lines of where the Nisqually yeah, watershed it's really. It's not good access to a lot of it. Yes, too. exactly, exactly. So um, then as I was looking at maps, um, I love maps. Maps are great. <laughs> I used to always have maps posted on my wall. Um, like I was telling you before, my father was a fighter pilot, and he always taught me to read maps. Okay. So wherever we were driving, I had to have a map in front of me. Right. Um, you know, it was the Rand McNally maps or whatever, and sure. I had to follow along exactly where we were and always know where north was. Um, didn't matter where I was to this day. I always am like, okay, north is this way. Um, pretty much. Yes. Pretty much. Yes. <laughs> um, so I was looking at it at Google Maps and you know deciding where I wanted to bird, and suddenly it stood out this contiguous lump of land that looked different than all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized okay, this is the boundaries of Joint Base Lewis-McChord. Right. And uh, being a military kid, I was familiar with the base mm-hmm. um, and familiar with, you know, military yeah. no, no, the, in general. The, the, the code and the lingo and, and whatever, you know, yeah. And I was like, oh, there's all this interesting land. And I then went to eBird to see all the lists that were on there. And, and there was like many. one dot. That's where all the lists went. Muck Creek. Yeah, I was like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Like, there's this huge area, and it was surrounded by eBird reports, and then there was nothing there. Right. And I was like, well, I'm going to go there. Perfect. And so that's how I started. Great. Um, And there was just no resources for figuring out how to bird there at all. So at first, I was like, can I even do it? Sure. So I figured out that I could. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, so what are the rules for doing that? And then, of course, you know, um, the military is not really very clear with civilians or even with themselves sometimes about what the rules are, sure. what you can do, where. Um, so I had to really do a lot of research uh, to figure out what I was doing and how to do it. And then um, the maps were not designed for just casual recreation. Mm-hmm. So I had to just go out into the woods and have a map in my hand and be like, okay, Figure this is where we're going. Added an element of yes. orienteering to yes. your birding. It yes, was, it was great. Um, I had lots of really fun experiences out there um, trying to orient myself. I bet. Um, there were several times where I'd be going through the forest and suddenly stumble upon a soldier who was clearly lost with a map in his hand. <laughs> and we sort of stare at each other and I'd wave and continue on my way. Um, one of my uh, favorite experiences was I really wanted American Dipper. Okay. On the po- On the base. Okay. I really wanted American Dipper. And I was like, I know there has to be American Dipper. So I'm going to find them. So I open up my map. There's not a lot of water features on the base. So the only one was Nisqually happened to run through the base. Okay. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to hit up Nisqually in the winter. I've got to find some dippers on it, right? Sure. Um, but getting to the Nisqually River on the base, there's 
almost no access points to it. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to actually, you know, meander through the woods to get there. So I had my phone, which often does not work on the base for, mm-hmm. for me at least. Yeah, same. So I'm trying to follow and you know, the little blue dot is not giving me the best approximation. <laughs> and so I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm like, okay, I've got to be almost here and I'm like, it doesn't look like there's a river here. I don't hear any river. I don't I don't understand what's going on. So, you know, being a classic millennial, I'm having my face down at my phone, just sort of walking without paying attention. And then I stop. And I'm like, okay, the river has to be here. And I look down. And I was actually standing on the edge of a cliff. And down below me, 200 feet, is the river. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, what? There's a cliff here. I did not look at the <laughs> elevation terrain properly. And lo and behold, yeah, I just stood there and you sort of like heart. The, 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 you could have walked right like, over the cliff. Yeah. Yes. And it wasn't just like an embankment. It's like a full cliff. <laughs> um, and then so I kind of calmed down a little bit and looked over. And then sure enough, down there below, two dippers. Very nice. Hanging out on the river. Very nice. Um and then so I kept on coming back there again and again. Uh-huh. And I kept on seeing bank swallows there. And I was like, nice. okay, bank that's swallows. A, that's a good chowdy bird. Each time I'd record it, you know, it'd be like flagged, bank swallow, bank swallow. And then sure enough, I was able to get to the other side and you see all these clear holes. The bank mm-hmm. swallows just right. had a nice little colony there. Very nice. So it was Very just, nice. it was fun to know like. And oh, that's a, 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 a you know legal or whatever it's mm-hmm. it's, it's on at one of the areas for, yes, for yes. listeners that don't know joint base list i looked up today i think it's 143 square miles it's a big area that's yes. the part here in pierce county yes, they have the yeah. whole yakima firing range yeah, but yeah. the part here, that's a big area 143 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's broken up into ranges yeah largely. they call them technically uh training areas okay training areas I yes guess. yeah okay. uh training areas and they might be numbered one two three four up yep. through a big number of 40 yeah, 50 or usually something like one that. the training area Areas are listed from like one to about twenty-three. Okay, it's a bunch yeah. of them. Yeah, and uh, on any given day, most of them might not be open, mm-hmm. and some of them are almost never open. Mm-hmm. They're area fourteen, where they have the mm-hmm. the, the studies going on mm-hmm. for the uh, streaked horn lark mm-hmm. and the butterfly, uh, are it's just never open. But you can drive mm-hmm. right around it, looking yeah, from yeah, the edges. Yeah. Uh, and so you you call the fort the night before mm-hmm. or the morning of and get a voice mm-hmm. recording as to what's open and where you can go. And and you have to go on the fort ahead of time and get a range pass to uh, let you you know. So they have given you permission to go on Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to call the night before and tell them where you are although i have to say i'm maybe not as good at that (laughs) as i should be well and i can appreciate them wanting to know what people are walking around but anyway it's a it's a little bit of a a process to learn to how to get on and Mm -hmm. burn the fort but uh but yeah so that's an aside well once once you get it once you get your range pass it's good for two years yes i've done my third one yeah yeah so it's good for two years, and I've never had any problems out there. Nor have I. And um, I, I want to make sure that I say that I'm not an official in relation with the base. No, you're you're a birder who just, has access to the exactly, base like anyone else. Exactly. But um, yeah, no, calling in was super easy. Um, and I think I ran into military police once. Oh, okay. In my like birding there extensively for three years, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because they're more patrolling the roads, making right. sure you know right. 
no illegal activity is happening mm-hmm. and I was more off the roads. So I often encountered the um, training personnel, right. uh, range support, they call them. Yes. And they were always very friendly. You know, occasionally they'd ask That's for my, yeah, the, and they occasionally would they'd ask for my pass and I just show them the pass and then, you know, we chat. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Don't behave like a jerk and they'll treat you nicely. Like, yes. like most people in life. Yeah. Most most of the time. Yes. There Not was, always, but most of the time. There was one time where, um, well, there was several times where I did get myself into a little bit of trouble. Not official trouble. More lost. Well, one time it was late April and I had found a yellow warbler. Oh. It was, you know, the first of mm-hmm. early for the early. Pierce County or something. FOI bird, yes. Yes, for yellow warbler. Um, and it was one of those where it just came right down to you and just sang, and you could see that black beady eye looking at love you. It. Love it. And uh, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go back there and find it again. And the next day I went back to, it was a grove of oaks. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some nice oak areas out there. Oh, yes, yeah. So I went back to the grove of oak, and unfortunately a bunch of tanks decided that they were just going to circle the oaks that day. <laughs> So I didn't really want you to felt be... like you were surrounded. Yeah. I was like, literally, the tanks are just doing circles. Oh, driving in circles. Okay. Around the oaks. And I'd never seen tanks on the base. Strikers often, but never tanks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm not going there today. Um, and so, so JBLM is an infantry base primarily. Yes. But every infantry division has uh, an armored battalion or company or something attached to them. So so they have some tanks there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then nearby there, one time I was walking, you know, navigating the maps, making sure I was in the correct location. And um, it's always fun to see the guys jump out of the planes. Yes. You know, so you can sort of sit there, you know, and you watch the west, the the meadowlark singing and then guys falling out of planes, you know, mm-hmm. and then they started dropping cargo out. Oh. And I was like, okay, big, you know, the size of big SUVs, yeah, cargo yeah, yeah. coming out of the plane. And I'm like, I wonder where they're dropping that. It looks really close to where I'm at right now. So I'm walking and walking on this really straight road near the 13th Division Prairie right, that marks yeah. the edge of training area 13 and 14. Right. And sure enough, they decided to use that road as their drop-off zone. Oh. They're really good at landing those crates exactly where they want them. Right on the road and you <laughs> right, were on the right road. Right on yes. the road that I was on. Yeah. Um, and then there was one time where there was a patrol of strikers. I think they were circling Chambers Lake training mm-hmm. area 12. Okay. And we were both in the same area. It was still open, but they finally came to me and they're like, uh, I think you should leave. And those were the, that was the only time I've ever been asked to leave, I, ever. I've, I've been asked to, to move on a couple of times, just nicely. And it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's their base. It's not yeah, mine. I'm exactly. the visitor. You know? yes, I, yes. Of course I'll move. Sure. Yeah. But one thing that I really appreciate is if it wasn't for the base using that area as a training area, it would look like the rest of Pierce exactly. County, completely covered yeah. over by houses yeah. and there, development. There are habitats there that, that were the original habitat. That and, just don't yes. exist. I mean, there's the big, this is the prairie. Yes. They've got the, yes. the, the uh, what do they call it? The Fort Lewis Prairie right now. The, I probably had another name. Originally. There's a 13th Division Prairie. There is, um, 
Weir Prairie. That's right. Tenelquat. So many good spots that are all being taken care of out there. Yeah. Um, They have have biologists on post that that do a a lot of work with wildlife. I I don't know too much about them. but Um, I mean, yeah, there's a whole set of people out there doing really great work with the base. And um, it's just, it's a treasure there. It's like a gem for us. Frustratingly, a couple of them even eBird. Yes, yes. Places you can't go to. There's uh, one particular spot where they kept on, they were breeding Eastern Kingbirds. Yes. And I, I saw the Eastern King. Did you get post. to go? I got that Heather Roberl, uh, yes. who works on post, yes. had access to that little pond there yes. right by the air base and uh, took us in and we saw, <sighs> and, and there were a pair mm-hmm. and she actually saw yes. one of them get taken by uh, either an exhibitor, I think it was by a Merlin. Oh. And so it's like, oops, so much for that in a yeah. pair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there are some spots on the base where... As a civilian birder, you can't go. Right. But there are so many more that you can. Yeah. It's, and it's a great just the, the 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 amount of acreage that you can go to outnumbers any of the acreage in the rest of Pierce County that you can oh, wander. It's huge. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. Yeah, it makes Nisqually look tiny. Oh yes. And Nisqually's yes. a big area. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So it's it's a tremendous resource for birders. I I, I encourage any. Uh, you know, Western Washington birders to mm-hmm. get a range pass and take yes. advantage of that because yep. the oak, the I mean, around here, where, where do you find an oak grove? It's a little one by Mountain View Cemetery mm-hmm. and over in Oak Brook area a little bit, but, mm-hmm. but there are just tens of acres of, mm-hmm. of oak. Uh, prairie and oak groves that are just fabulous. I've been looking for yep. white-breasted nuthatch out there. And you I know, can't find I them. heard rumors that they are there. They're just keeping it quiet. Mm. And there's actually a lot of oak out there that you know we don't necessarily have access to. Right. Right. Um, but I found that there is a lot of really great birding that's really easy off of training area 12 which is tra- uh, chambers lake mm-hmm. yes um and a lot of those roads and areas that you can get around to that most birders don't know about that just are excellent yeah. one of my favorite base birds is um cassin's vireo and there's a particular area in mm-hmm. 12 where get- they're just everywhere i get it at at the hermit warbler spot yes every year yes they're just singing there and right off when you go to to chambers lake Mm -hmm. if you just go by the boat launch and the little bridge there just down that road they're always there always a great spot for them and the other uh bird that i really loved on the base um is the purple martins um and uh one of the things that people did not truly appreciate is that there the purple martins nest naturally in natural in cavities, cavities. Yeah. yes so in fact there was a biologist who was doing i think her master's work on uh, purple martins mm-hmm. and she needed to find where they're at and you know finding anything on the base is always you know right a chore sure um and I had, you know, roamed the base for several years, and so I mentally noted was where... Your dad, was all... your dad uh, uh, stationed at... Uh, he retired at there, yeah. So you you had your, you know, Wonderbread years, of yeah. some of them on... Uh, well, that was, you know, way before I was even a birder. Okay, yeah, but still, yeah. you knew your way around. I knew my way around. And so I knew where all the dead snags were, and 
I you know as a birder, I didn't even realize they were nesting there. I was just always like, oh, they're always hanging around those snags. And <laughs> so someone's like, you know, well, that's they're probably nesting there. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, oh, I guess I know where they nest now. Huh? So I was able to take her around to a whole bunch of different spots that Very weren't nice. necessarily contribution to science yeah. there. Very <laughs> good, Nathaniel. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, there's lots of special birds like that. There are. And one of the things that I always love to tell people is, um, that the western bluebirds are there year round. Um, people don't realize I, they're like all the bluebirds are gone. Well, for I the know winter. they're late. They're I've seen them in November or oh, December, and I've seen them in late January, early February. Oh, they are I, there year round. Okay. Not as many. Of and course. In the winter, they'll they flock up. Mm-hmm. So you know it'll be January or Can't whatever. Can't just go to their box and see them no, like you can no, in March. Yeah, and then they'll roam the edges of the prairie, all in mm-hmm. like a mixed flock with other birds. Right. And I remember the first time I was there, just birding. You know, great birds, great woodpeckers, and suddenly you know six bluebirds just show up. You know, they're just doing their fly catching, and then they move on. And I right. was like, I did not even realize that they were here year-round. Very nice. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah, That's and know. The, the last bird I wanted to, to point out about on the base that I had so much fun with was the gray jays. Um, I did not I realize. I don't know where they are on the post. Well, on, <laughs> they don't you ever... Mean, you mean Canada jays? Canada yes, jays, yes, yes. Uh, Parasaurus canadensis, yeah, I think. Joke, joke. <laughs> there is a the, they. It's one of the ABA name changes uh, yes. recently. They yes. used to be gray jays, and a couple of years ago they changed the name to Canada jays. Yes, so. when I had ebrooded them, they were still gray jays. Yes, um, but I think a buddy of mine had found where they were actually nesting on the Thurston County side. Oh, um, and then one time right there by the. Um, 13th Division Prairie, mm-hmm. a flock of them uh, visited. I was, you know, driving down mm-hmm. one of those roads where you're like, oh my God, this road is not drivable. Yeah. But um, suddenly I heard some squawking roll down my window and, you know, five yeah, or six were. gray jays just came to say hello. Very nice. So Very just nice. stuff like that where you're just like, oh, I did yeah. not just realize unex- I could have that unexpected. there. Unexpected. At yeah. low, low elevation, I mean, that's what, yes. three, 400 feet elevation. It's well, not... and they could actually be breeding out there. Wow. Um, they get, jays get really quiet when they breed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably because they raid other people's nests yeah so they realize yeah, their nest hide my nest too yeah. raided as well my my second cousin once removed could eat yes, my eggs yes, yes exactly um and a, a buddy of mine uh, jerry Broadus, sure. um has uh, banded on the base years ago and he caught a gray jay that was uh had breeding condition on it uh, yeah a, a, uh, the brood patch brood patch that's yes what yeah. yeah so um one day I would like to see, you know, a nest there. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. So, Nathaniel, you've birded JBLM mm-hmm. a lot. You've also been really involved with the Morse Preserve. But before yes. we get to that, so that I don't forget, tell me your birding story. How did you get into oh, birding? And when did it start? And tell me about, you know, important people or events. Yeah, well, it's both a very clear-cut line when I started birding and a blurry line at the same time. Okay. Um. It started, I'd lived in Hawaii for a couple of years. Right. Um, and I like to snorkel mm-hmm. and I've always liked to know the names of everything around me. Right. So I learned the Hawaiian names for fish, like mm-hmm. the humu humu, nuku apu A lot of owls there. Yes, yes. yes. A great, great fish. Uh, you know, you snorkel and it clicks at you and then hides in the reef. Okay. 
Um, so I tried to learn as many names as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I learned the bird names in Hawaii. None okay. of the native ones, the right. introduced Which ones. Which are hard to find. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was interesting. I was like, oh, okay. I, they're, they had the Hawaiian moorhen and Hawaiian mm-hmm. coos. Right. Um, and one time with Starbucks, I worked for Starbucks. Okay. Uh, we had done uh, volunteer work to do preservation for the hawaiian uh black neck stilt yes um and i was like oh okay you know you're working to clear out some invasive shrubs so that they're like oh yeah we need to get rid of all these bushes to expose the mud and at the time i was like really we're doing this so that they can poke around in mud okay (laughs) um but i was moving back to washington and i thought I really need to know all the names of the birds back home Mm because Washington is home to me. And to be home is to know what everything around you is. Okay. Um, It's important that you know the names, you know, the plants, the people that are around you, the, the institutions, the landmarks, you know, going back to maps, really seeing your home. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I uh, downloaded a, an app. Uh, it was a Tahoma, uh, not Tahoma. It was a, just a general Audubon bird app. Okay. And it listed all the birds. And this is about when, Nathaniel? This just was two thousand and thirteen. I think. Oh, so not very long ago. Yeah, yeah seven eight years ago. Yeah. So I flew back, um, and January sixth, I was like, I am going to start finding birds. Okay. It was a very clear date. I that went was a day. out to a park and promptly misidentified every bird I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but luckily, I'd run into a pygmy owl. Oh, very It was cool. a park in Puyallup. Um, wow. And the pygmy owl was four feet from me on a cedar branch, just chilling there. A bunch of kinglets had surrounded it Mobbing and it. were yes. like freaking out. So I just sat there watching this pygmy owl and i thought oh this is neat i can just go into park and find pygmy owls and i looked at the little birds around them the kinglets and i was like i don't know what these little birds are they must be rare because i can't seem to find them on my app i was like the closest ones they look like to me are worm-eating warblers so we'll go with worm-eating warbler you know (laughs) the e-bird review got back to you about that (laughs) this is before i was e-birding but um I absolutely fell in love. It was it was hilarious because for like three years after that, I never saw another pygmy owl. I'd not realized how well, rare they, are they hard were. To find, how yeah. rare they were. So uh, that's why when you made the pygmy owl call, I was like, <laughs> "Yes, my pygmy owls have come back." Um, so yeah, totally got hooked there, and then I started showing up to Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge. Okay. Um, and I'd saw on the website or on several websites they do there bird was like walks. a well it didn't advertise it as a bird walk it was oh. just a you know walking around to see nature was Shep doing it then or yes. was that before yes. Shep okay um, and I was like well I'm not really interested in just any nature I, I'm really hooked on birds right now yeah um, but then I showed up and you know they were all so accommodating and nice yeah. um, and tolerated me completely. And introduced me to the word birding. And I didn't actually realize that there were other people in the world that wanted to see birds. Yes. And that they did it as a thing and they had a name for it. Very cool. And lists that they did. And 
I was like, oh, I see. And then slowly as I look back in my life, uh-huh. um, I realized as a kid I had a National Geographic Birds of North America book okay, yes. that I would always look through, mm-hmm. uh, learn the bird names there, but never actually gone into the field. Sure. I remember you know, the first spotted towhee nest that I found, mm-hmm. and I learned what the bird was. I think it was probably like 12 mm-hmm. with my National Geographic book. Right. But once again, I didn't realize that people like went out there looking there for There were other birds. people doing that specifically. Yes. yes. They didn't yeah. just stumble across Yeah, it. I just thought, you know, it's like, oh, spotted towhee. And I think at the time, it was even in the book, it was like Rufus sighted towhee. You know, mm-hmm. it's a really sure. old book. Yeah. In fact, I went to visit my parents in Parkland uh, this past year, and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, we need to get rid of a whole bunch of stuff to clear out the garage. I think this is one of your books. And lo and behold, it was my your National, National Geographic. Geographic. And I just I was like, oh, I guess I really have been into birds all my life. I didn't even realize yeah, it. Very so cool. it sits on my shelf right now. It's so, so, so old. For, for somebody who got into birding just really avidly mm. seven years ago mm-hmm. you have really taken <laughs> taken it by the horns and gone you well, you're a good birder it's i it's it's a lot of fun it's really rewarding and i like to do things you know bulldog style like if you're going to do it just do it go for it go for it all the way um that sort of stuff really stimulates me i don't I don't like doing anything superficially. I like to be passionate about yes, what you do. Yes, you've got to be passionate about what you're doing because then you're just wasting your time. Sure. And I don't I don't just wasting my time. I don't right. want to do that. No, good. Yeah. I, I, I'm all over that too. Yeah, but it's it's kind of funny too because I have birded extensively, but it's all been just pretty much Western Washington. Right. So, you know, I know the birds of Pierce and Thurston County like the back of my hand. Yeah. But you stick me over into Yakima and I'm you know a novice birder all over again (laughs) it's amazing how that translates though Mm. I mean some I mean Ken Brown is my my Mm -hmm. best birding buddy Mm -hmm. and Ken has birded a ridiculous amount in Washington Mm -hmm. he he Mm. knows Washington birds like not not many people know birds yeah. Washington better than Ken. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he had, when I started birding with him, we went to places he'd never been to before. We went to Texas mm-hmm. and uh, he had 90 life species oh. on a trip to Texas. Yes. He had never birded in the East at all. Yeah, yeah. And yet he knew every, I mean, he just, it just translated. I mean, he yep. studied ahead and learned yep. his birds and he was just all over it. So it, it's, if you're a birder, mm-hmm. you can, it translates well, it's at least a, because in North America, they're the same families, they're mm-hmm. the same groups. I mean, it doesn't translate as well in Africa, maybe, mm-hmm. because there's just so many different things. Well, it's but it those, does to a degree. Those skills of awareness, um, and I remember uh, probably was after I did birding JBLM, I decided, oh, I really want to learn how to bird by ear. Mm. So rather than a specific geography, sort of like a genre of birding. Right. Yes. Um, so I picked up one of the games was Larkwire. I don't know. How Terrific. You... I've, yes. I've used this. Great. Oh, great. Larkwire is a great uh, application that you can use. It sort of turns learning bird songs into a game. A game. Exactly. Yes. Um, and it was funny because um, you have to learn bird songs of birds that you perhaps have never seen or heard before. Mm-hmm. So just l- learning birds that I've never actually seen or heard in the wild before. Yes. But if I ever encounter them, You'll I will be know ready. what they sound like. Yeah. 
but and, those skills of learning those yes. sounds and and discerning listening and discerning yes. watching yes and, yes and, yeah it, it's terrific you I, know I, i'm blessed by still being able to hear at 65 and so i'm mm. so fortunate well and it's also i remember when i first started birding i was in the field with one of my good friends russ smith mm-hmm. and you know there's all these different sounds coming at me from different directions and i looked at him and i was like in five years, we're going to be able to have technology in our hands that will visualize everything that we see and we will know exactly what we're listening to. And he laughed at me. He's like, okay, Nathaniel, sure thing. And then I downloaded my Spectrum View one day and sure enough, just held it in my hand and everything that I saw, I could learn. And then I learned what all the audio spectrograms were. Oh, wow. And so... Just by looking at my app, I could identify birds so much better. That's, and that's it's, it's learning a language. Cool. So, I mean, you do have to learn what the symbols are and everything. But it just really opened things up for me that's there. Cool. Um, yeah, but when you can learn those sounds and Did, visualize them, it translates into all sorts of areas. Have you seen the new Nathan people? Pe- yes. Oh my oh goodness, my I could not goodness. recognize that. Uh, recommend it more. It is. It's fabulously great. spectacular. I mean, yes. I, I, it's it's kind of intimidating. A little it bit. is because you can't just read the book. You have to be no. on the website and listen to them while you mm-hmm. watch them. But I'm trying to get into that well one of the things that worked really well for me Mm -hmm. was actually learning it on my own through the uh, ebird website they have all the macaulay library of sounds for sure and all the ebird recordings Mm -hmm. and you just sit there and listen while the audio spectrogram is going Mm -hmm. it has to be at the same time Mm -hmm. so like looking at a book is really not that helpful um, but if you look at it and listen to it at the same time, it's like it connects different parts of your brain sure. that weren't even there before. Um, so one of the first things that popped up to me was I was out birding and you're trying to decipher all those different sounds. I could suddenly see the sounds. So, you know, a yellow warbler would call and I could see the progression, the up, down, up, down, up, 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 down of the yellow warbler call. And then immediately could see how it was different than the Wilson's warbler Which call. It can sound almost the same if yes. you're not thinking like that. And, you know, because as, as people, our ears and our, actually it's our brains are really attuned to people voices. Sure. We are really good at distinguishing people voices and not particularly good at discerning little bird chirps. But our brains are just amazing things. We can rewire them to be able to hear things that we didn't think we could hear before. Right. Um, and that was one of the things that I really loved about some of the people that I birded with. Because mm-hmm. birding is great fun. I love it. But sometimes birding with people is even more fun. For sure. For different people, it's different. It, it is. And but... uh, just seeing some of the people, uh, I really enjoy birding with Russ Smith. And a lot of people complain that as they get older, they hear less. Mm-hmm. Um, and just birding with Russ and showing him just some basics, suddenly he was hearing more and more and more. And each time I birded with him, it was like his hearing improved. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun to yeah. see. He might have not have heard every single pitch mm-hmm. of sound that you heard, mm-hmm. but he, 
what he heard had a pattern also. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. It was one of the favorite parts when I was birding with him was the day that he could really hear chestnut back chickadee. Very nice. And a lot of people overlook chestnut back chickadees, you They've know. They've got those little tiny yes, sounds. Yeah. So many of them. But uh, when you can finally really pay attention to it and you tune the software in your head just right, they just pop up. And, um, like, you know, some people will never hear golden crown kinglets like mm-hmm. I hear golden right. crown kinglets. But if you train yourself and you listen and you have that sense of awareness, it's amazing how much more in the world there is out there. Yeah. As a physician, I you know, when you study cardiology and listen to heart mm-hmm. sounds, they, they train you mm-hmm. to, okay, listen to the lungs, mm-hmm. stop hearing that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just hear the heart. Now... Just hear the part between the first heartbeat and the second, first heart sound of the second. Mm-hmm. That's that's where the systolic murmur is. Do you hear anything in that space? And then listen to the other space, the diastolic space. Do you hear anything there? Well, listen right after the first sound. Do you hear a click there? So you learn to yes, and and that has translated to being able to ignore the jays and ignore yes. the crows and the gulls screaming yes and hear the black turnstone down on the beach that yes. maybe other people saying how'd you pick that out you know well as a, as a person who works for starbucks um i work at a drive-thru in dupont mm-hmm. but i've worked at starbucks for about 13 years now right and um drive-thrus you know we have our headsets on and you know, people are talking to me in the lobby. People are talking to me in the drive-thru. I've got two baristas trying to talk to me. And so I had a lot of experience with like tuning things out and mm-hmm. tuning things in. Right. Same, and same being idea. like, you know, manage the chaos, figure out exactly mm-hmm. who's talking to me right now. Yes. I'm still not particularly great at it. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah those, those sort of situational awareness cool. and being in the moment. Oh, That's terrific. It actually makes life more meaningful um and even if nothing special is going on around you just to be able to stop and listen yeah and just hear everything yeah, yeah. it is it is super cool yeah. super cool uh, so that's how you got into birding yeah and, yeah and your birding story appreciate that you've done a lot of work at the morse preserve mm. uh, tell us tell listeners what the morse preserve is and your experiences there yeah so um I have to say that I'm not an authoritative figure on the Morse Preserve. There are so many people yeah, out there who sure. have done so much great work, who were yeah. there long before I was there and will probably be long after me. Uh, so people have put in some really tireless work in maintaining the area. I, I and talked developing. to Jerry and Clarice about that. They, yes. they have been avid supporters there. But, yes. But your experience. The, the Morse Forest yeah, has done a great job there. My experience has been limited to mostly bird banding. Okay. So I started bird banding about five years ago. And if you're not familiar with bird banding, it's uh, mostly focused on understanding the um, the lives of birds, the, the way they fit into the ecosystem around us, okay. you know, we're really focused on how old the birds are, how long they've been alive, how well they're reproducing, where they go, when they go, um, when they come back. And um, so I was a part of the MAPS program, which is stands for Monitoring Avian Productivity and Survivorship. Okay. And the MAPS program is continent-wide. 
North America from you know East Coast to West, up from Alaska, uh, down to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they set up a station uh, there on Morse Preserve. Right. It's been one of the oldest map station, I think. Okay. Not the oldest, but one of the most continuing map stations on the continent. Cool. Um, and we do uh, research there in the summertime during the breeding uh, part of the year mm-hmm. where we capture the birds and basically record what birds are there, how old they are, how much young they're producing, you know, how often they come back. We attach uh, little you, tiny silver. How do you tell how many young they're producing? You look at the nests? Um, it's actually um, a lot of that work is done with the USGS by looking at um, the data that they collect. So how, how many young versus how many adults? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So you can see the ratio between right, young right. and adults. Okay, There's a lot sense. of math that goes into it. Um, but my job was, you know, setting up the nets. Um, extracting the birds from the nets, applying the bands, and then looking through the bird and figuring out how old they are, what sex they are. Right. Um, you look at fat reserves. Fat, yes. It, it's, I, I've, I've never been a bird bander, but I've mm. gone to the Morse River a couple mm-hmm, of times mm-hmm. and watched, and they shine lights in the skull to see how yes. much bone is in the yes. skull to tell how old they are yes. and, and how much they look at their, how, how much fat they have yes. and uh, how nutritious, how well-nourished they are. And, yes. And they measure the lengths of this and that. And it's so it, interesting. Like I said before, you know, if you're going to do something, do it all the way. And I was like, this is just a whole nother set of, it's like a, on, a, on the tree of birding. This mm-hmm. is a weird branch that goes off down an endless, you know, yeah. rabbit hole of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you collect all this data and um, send it off to USGS um, and you know, they then can look at the continent-wide trends of birds. Right. And I think that if any of the people who follow the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, they put Mm -hmm. out uh, this whole uh, piece about how well the birds are doing in the last, what was it, 55, 70 years? Was it Cornell that produced that paper recently that showed the 30% decline? Yes. Okay. So, um a lot of that information was from things like the maps protocol right so the data that we had been collecting you know for 20 plus years is going to understanding really a snapshot of what's going on with our birds very cool yeah very cool. so you've had a lot a lot of bird banding experience mm-hmm. at the morse preserve and and i don't know how you do all of your work <laughs> you're a student you're studying computer sciences mm-hmm. of some sort uh, and and you're the president of the Tahoma Audubon Society. <laughs> Tell me about your Audubon experience. Yeah, um, I got involved with uh, Tahoma Audubon uh, because I valued the uh, all the work that the people of Tacoma area, Pierce, Thurston County, right. were doing uh, around getting people involved in birds, education, conservation. And I realized I, would, I wanted to contribute back and not just glean the eBird reports of other people, you know. Um, and I, it was nice to be a part of the community and to understand the history of what went on before me. Right. Um, 
you know, because just a small pebble of did, part did of the Did you know any of the older icons? You know, Thelma no, Gilmer and no, Helen Engel and Bob all. Ramsey and Georgia Ramsey. No. I mean, that was that was a generation of conservationists mm-hmm. that without them, this place would be concrete. Yes, I mean, yes. It is, they did fabulous work. Yes. Know? No, I definitely recognize there have been giants before me. Um, and it's it's been a great uh, humbling experience to be able to stand here now yeah so tell me uh, what what does the pre- what is your role what does the oh. president of tom auto <laughs> it's not intimidating i i'm not one for going to meetings if i no, can avoid no. them and and you know, i'm now on the wasp board which is outside my normal place of walking <laughs> uh and have kind of uh, avoided being involved in the leadership of tom Audubon mm-hmm. just for those kind of reasons. But what, what does it involve? How well, big a job is it? Um, a lot of the work of Tahoma Audubon is done by the staff there. Um, Matt and Britt right now are doing mm-hmm. amazing work. I love everything that they do. Um, the board often acts as um, oversight. Like, um, a, like a board should, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so a lot of what we do is uh, listen to what Matt's doing uh, provide him feedback um, and set sort of uh, milestone posts about where we want to go. We set what our values are. Um, we make sure, you know, money's coming and going as it should, um, that we're aligning our actions with uh, what our values are, what our mission statement is. And so, a lot of it is is you know consulting and helping and guiding and holding things accountable. Right. And then we each contribute what our passions are. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, Tahoma Audubon is a house for us to be able to live what our passions are. Right. And there's a lot of the board members who've been there oh. a long time, and they do amazing work. Uh, Margie, Marsha, mm-hmm. uh, Ione, all of them. And what I really love about them all is. None of them like to hog the limelight. It is amazing. They really prefer to stay undercover, doing the work, setting up the meetings, submitting the reports. Mm -hmm. Um, I just love bird people. Yeah, I I appreciate that. uh, Just in one of my grumbles about Tom Audubon was that, uh, you know, you never knew when your membership was due. Yes, yeah. They, I mean, <laughs> every organization I'm in that I, you know, you've been in 11 months, you get a letter, says pay your dues. You say, yep. great, I'll pay my dues. And 11 months will go by, and I <laughs> I don't think, oh, boy, it's it's March. I better pay my Audubon Society dues. And it just wouldn't happen. It's been three years. I Really? you got to get a hold of me. And, mm-hmm. and now they have, they've gotten up to speed, yep, and they now yep. have whatever database and reminder yep. system it takes to, yep. to do that. And It's and amazing how much work actually goes I know, into it's that. It's got to be hard to do that. But it was like, really, everybody else does it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know. Me complain and do nothing. That's not helpful. Uh, but uh, it was always a, it was like a, a pet peeve of mine that I, I really wanted to be a member, but mm-hmm. it kept not happening. Yeah, laughing, yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why uh, I got into the role of uh, president of Tahoma Audubon is a lot of the members, um, they really love to contribute and they don't want to be the face of Tahoma Audubon, though. Mm-hmm. They'd really right. prefer to get the work done, to educate people, 
Um, and so I, <laughs> they looked at me one day and they were like, Nathaniel, I think it's time for you to step up and be the president. And I was like, okay, if this is what you want, I will go ahead. So I, I go to all the meetings, right. um, talk with Matt. Um, and Audubon has been a really great place for me to uh, find the people uh, who share my values and to also uh, bring people in as well. Right. Right. Well, that is super cool. I appreciate your work there. That is uh, a job I would would not uh, not fit with my. Uh, uh, we life. all have our own. Yeah, we all have our We all have our gifts, and, <laughs> yeah. and that would probably not be my gift. But I appreciate the work that you do there, uh, Nathaniel. You, I wanted to bring this up uh, about diversity and birding. Mm-hmm. We had a little bit of talk about Nathaniel. You're an open gay man, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, you know, birding is historically, uh, an old white guy's sort of mm-hmm. uh, thing, and you're young. Uh, but I, I has that been an issue? Has it been a role? And how, how has that uh, whole diversity issue played out for you? Yeah, so in the birding world, um, as a gay man, I have always been welcomed with open arms. And um, I really enjoy that, at least the birders around here, um, they have always been inclusive of anyone who's willing to join. And especially when I first started birding seven years ago, I guess it is now. um, Nobody that I knew even knew what birding was. (laughs) You know, when I used the word birding, they thought it was a made up word. They're like, that's not a word. Birding is not a verb, is it? Bird is not a verb. Yes. Are you, do you think you are a bird? Like, no, no, it's it's a thing. So whenever someone would show an interest in birds um, and the environment, the birding community has always just been enthusiastic about um, educating and about including. Um, and so I was never, no one ever looked down upon me for being gay or even made it an issue, you yeah. know, this or that. Um, People have always shown their support for me and have always been excited that I've been excited about birds. Yeah, um, so I just, I love birders. They, they're always, I felt open-minded to whoever wants to join in. In general, my experience with birders has been that almost no matter where you go, birders want to help. They want mm-hmm. to support the birding community in general, I mean, mm-hmm. there are certainly exceptions, but the vast majority of people are kind and helpful mm-hmm. and just want to to help you out however you can. And I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, having, you know, some differences hasn't mm-hmm. been a big role in that. Uh, there's a lot of movements out there now. There's, mm-hmm. there's a, a, a feminist birding club in New York City that's kind of has chapters or whatever you call mm-hmm. them in different... Uh, different uh, cities uh there's a uh, qbna Q, qbna uh, queer birders north america mm. uh, that has a pretty active thing they had they t- two members are in the aba leadership and they talked on one of the aba podcasts recently that made me think about it so it's good to hear that we're open to diversity in, mm-hmm. in lots of different ways mm-hmm. uh, so that that's cool well and you know tahoma audubon has you know whenever uh, we are looking at what you know our mission and values are. Everyone on the board has always brought up like, hey, we want to make sure that we are an inclusive place for everyone. 
Um, and in the past, birding has been perceived as sort of an old white man's sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd have to say that since I started, especially in the last couple years, um, when I would interact with people, sometimes I would hold back that I was a birder, mm-hmm. you know, just because I didn't want to have to explain right. myself. Yeah. Um, just like sometimes in certain situations, I try to stay a little closeted because I don't want to have to you explain myself and, all over again. And, and it just doesn't need to be a big yes. part of the... It, it's irrelevant yes. sometimes. I mean, yes. it's in a sense. But um, lately, um, so I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know... I occasionally will bird, and then people are like, oh, yeah, I know people who bird. And then they'll know a few bird names or even be familiar with bird banding. And you're just like, oh, like, wow. okay, I guess more people know about this now than bird, before. Birding is, in the last 10 years, birding mm-hmm. has become mainstream. Mm-hmm. Maybe not for everyone, yeah, but yeah. a lot more than it was yeah. 30 years ago, for sure. Yeah. My, my wife was a bird watcher mm-hmm. at that time, bird watcher. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we were mar- we've been married for a while. She was pregnant, and uh, we're traveling through. We went to Key West mm-hmm. on like a little vacation. My parents were wintering on the Gulf Coast of uh, Florida. And we're driving up. We're, we had a day to stop somewhere, and she says, "Well, can we stop at the Everglades?" And I said, "Yeah, I guess so, but you know, it might be more fun to go to Miami or something." And, yeah. And she says, "Well, I'm a birder." I said, "A what?" Yeah. She says, "I'm a birder." I says, "Well, what does that mean?" And she, and she told me. I says. Wow, and you never told me. Kay was the forever and ever the uh, passionate for a while, and then it faded away, and then mm-hmm. she burned for a while. She was always pretty good, but never really went in every day sort of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we went to the Everglades, and and uh, we shared her 735 Bushnells and her little uh, <laughs> golden guide, hardcover golden guide, and and uh, she she showed me pileated wood peppers and purple galanules and uh-huh. roseate spoonbills, and I'm like, whoa, this is really cool yeah that yeah. was the beginning for me so yeah uh, yeah it's uh, it's a lot more mainstream now than it yeah was it's it's great um now birders still like to keep their birding a little close to them mm-hmm. um you know because they don't like to go out on a limb and try to explain themselves like i was talking earlier i, I work at dupont right next to nisqually national oh, wildlife so refuge mcneil mcneil trail is right there and, for you. yeah a great birding trail so occasionally birders will stop by um and you can recognize another birder like they've got a certain walk and a certain outfit and Usually like a bin, sharp bins on yeah, yeah <laughs> that helps and so uh, yeah they'll have their binoculars hanging from their shoulder you know and I'll be like, oh, what bird are you after today? And they'll look at me like, like they still don't believe I, I'm like you a think, birder. Like you think it's a bald eagle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I saw one guy came in just the other day. So he had his binoculars on. And I was like, what bird are you after today? He's like, oh, I'm just, there's a bird down south that showed up. I'm going to go look for it. And I was like, oh, is it the Siberian Ascenter? And he gave me this side look like, how do you know what I'm after today? Like, <laughs> is it that obvious? Yes. Like, I was like, oh, the universe just tell me right now you're after the Siberian Ascenter. He's like, yes. And I was like, I haven't had a chance to go see it myself. Best of luck. And, you know, then finally, you know, he opened up a little bit. But, you know, 
sometimes we don't always want to share and try to explain ourselves. Exactly. And it's and the same it's, way. It's just expedience. Yes. You just don't want to waste your time talking. But yes. Somebody really doesn't care. Exactly. And it's <laughs> the same sort of as a, as and, a gay man. You know, sometimes you just don't. You know, all of us need to be better about that because mm-hmm. how do you spread the gospel if you don't, yeah, uh, exactly. don't evangelize a yes, little bit? Yes. But, uh, yeah. 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 So that's cool. Anyway, so that's that's good to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, good to hear that. Uh, and I think that that, that uh, trying to be open to people of all, ever the way people are different, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and be inclusive and and open and inviting is something all of us can work harder at. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm happy to see here that at least here in Pierce County, it hasn't been a big issue for you. So that's yeah, good yeah. news. That's good news. Uh, are there other things that you wanted to make sure we cover today, Nathaniel? Oh, I think, um, like, always my my passion for, you know, burning on the base has always been a big part of who I am. Um, it's always been a great experience to be a part of the birding community here. Um I really learned everything I, I, I learned started with the people at Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge. Right. Um, people like uh, Shep Thorpe, uh, Russ Smith, uh, Laurel Pashal, um, uh, Lynn has been my great birding buddy. Um, they've just all been helpful Very and cool. excited about any birds that I see. Um, and I love how people will tolerate even the the miscalls where you're like, oh, it's a Merlin. And they're like, maybe it's not a Merlin. Maybe it's just a swallow. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it is. You know how graceful people are. It, it is. You know, we all, it, it, if, if you're, uh, if you never call a bird wrong, you never call a bird. Yeah, exactly. Bottom line. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I got a, a very, uh, uh, oh, by the way, uh, uh, email from eBird Reviewer the other day <laughs> about my uh, sharp shin talk that was really a Merlin per- oh, yeah. perched on a branch. I'm like, for some reason, it seems like that should be the easiest call. And it isn't for me. A perched Merlin and a perched Sharpie yeah, juve- yep. juveniles yep. are just, boy, they look a lot alike to me. And I, I've learned, uh, I, I have been trying to learn to not let that sort of thing get to oh, me. It, I, I, yeah. I used to I, sign I, up to... I would, I would write back and say, thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, and I used to always be subscribed to the eBird reports and what every bird was. And then each time I saw a rare bird, I'd have to, you know, do the full write-up. And mm-hmm. I, in fact, it was maybe two years ago, I decided to take a year of just not submitting any lists. Oh, wow. You know, just... <laughs> Cold turkey withdrawal, nothing. I know, I know, I know. I know. Um, and it was just nice to just decide, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm or just going to enjoy is the I'm birds not, and not, exactly. not, not uh, be a lister this year. Yeah, yeah you know, because there was one year I was just really focused on the you know, adding the list into my phone. And I was like, I'm just spending so much time looking at my phone mm-hmm. and not birding. And then there was another year where I was like looking at my phone the whole time because uh, I was reading out the audio spectrograms on my phone and it was really helping me. Mm-hmm. I was almost closing my eyes, birding just by my ears. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, I love to experience all those different parts of birding. Yeah. Good. Well, I will make sure that in the podcast notes, I put links to Nisqually and to mm-hmm. Homo Audubon mm-hmm. uh, and uh, some of the other things we mentioned today that re- uh, listeners might find that helpful. I also put up a blog post every every time I put up a an episode. I, I write a little 
sort of Excellent. supporting blog post yes, on yeah. the Bird Banner website. <laughs> uh, so that'll be fun too. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate you dropping by. Of course, thank You're you. You're a busy guy, and to take an hour of your time and go over to my condo and sit down and talk birds is always fun. I it was really a pleasure, appreciate it. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much. Uh, well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast episode number 50 with Nathaniel Swecker. He was such a fun guest to talk to. And as we said, I had known Nathaniel casually and birded with him a little bit, but never really took time to sit down and talk with him and get to know him a little better. He is very articulate and a fun guest to have on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm excited uh, that I got to have him on, uh, over to my place and talk with him a bit today. I hope you enjoy uh, the conversation and the topics we had to speak of. Uh, I'll make sure I put links in the podcast notes to some of the things we talked about. And as I mentioned, mentioned in, the, in at the end of the episode there'll be a, a blog post up to associated with this with a little supporting information that sort of thing but i was really pleased to have uh, nathaniel as my guest today and i've got some other good guests coming up so make sure you follow me on on uh, twitter uh, uh, i'm at, Bur at bird banter on twitter uh, at bird banter on facebook also i have an instagram handle uh, so follow me in those social media things you get to see some other photos and things associated with that but make sure especially subscribe to the bird banter podcast on itunes uh, the apple podcasts uh, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast feeds, you can find the Bird Banner podcast and leave a leave a review and a, and a rating. Uh, those things help me get noticed. But until next time, thanks for listening. And good birding. Good day.